How many of y'all are glad to be at church today? So glad to be here. I tell you what, Christmas music gets me in the mood for, for uh, it just puts me in a good mood because I'm not one of those people, unlike my wife, who listens to uh, you know Christmas music starting in November. I start like now. So this gets me fired up and I love it. So good to see everybody here. Thanks for joining us online. Those of y'all, I've heard from so many people that have the flu right now, uh, like text after text, hey, we won't be there today. We're sick. We're sick. I'm like, man, alive. So all of y'all that are joining us online, we love you are praying for you and hope that you guys feel better soon. So guys, we are in a series called uh, Seven Habits of God First Christian. Those of you guys that are visiting, my name is Dave. And, um, and this, this is one that is going to be a little bit different than the last three. The last three habits were kind of these things moving forward and everything. Then, then right in the middle of this discourse, Peter just kind of says, he kind of puts the brakes on. Um, in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, he writes this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, which is a foundation, goodness, and a goodness, knowledge, and a knowledge, self-control, and a self-control, perseverance, and a perseverance, godliness, and a godliness, mutual affection, mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the way Peter describes it, faith is the foundation of the Christian life. And then you add to that goodness. We talked about that two weeks ago. Um, goodness defined by Jesus, not by us, okay? Then last week, Donovan talked about adding knowledge to that. And so it's like Peter's building this house and adding things to it. And then all of a sudden he says self-control. It's like he pulls the reins back and because every, everything was progressing. Then all of a sudden, hey, self-control. And I wonder if Peter, being a Jew who grew up studying the Old Testament, was thinking about King Solomon, uh, who was the wisest person who ever lived, but it had more knowledge than anyone. But his lack of self-control, if you study scriptures, especially with the ladies, led to his downfall. His life imploded in later years because of lack of self-control. Uh, see, guys, it's not just enough to study the scriptures. It's not enough just to have faith. It's not enough just to have goodness. We must have self-control. And so the power, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, we can have self-control. And many, many people uh, join us in person and online admittedly struggle, struggle with self-control. We live in an indulgent society that tells you to do whatever feels good, whatever you want to do, whatever uh, you want to say, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to go after, just do it because the primary uh, goal of the American society is to feel good. And that leads to a lack of of self-control. You go to an aisle, you can eat buffet, you go to a store, you see something that angers you. Self-control is a tough one. But I would imagine that most of our problems, if not all of our problems that we deal with, we create for ourselves, boil down to a lack of self-control. And if we are to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're to be effective in our Christian lives, we must, we're going to have to live life, live life dictated by self-control. Now, so why am I talking about all this? Well, this is something that's very very, very important for us to get today. And this is point number one. All things begin in your mind. All things begin between your ears. Second Corinthians 10.5 says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then I want everyone to underline this in your Bibles. And we take every, captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What I see in the church and out of the church are people being ruled by their thoughts rather than them ruling their thoughts. 
okay? We don't act on every thought that comes into our mind. Praise God that we don't. We're not victims at the whims of our thoughts and what's going on between our ears. The Bible tells us that Christians take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ, and I love that. Listen, people, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this, you are in control of your thoughts. You own your thoughts. You are not at the mercy of your thoughts. So many people think that, think that they are. You aren't. This, this is the victimhood that people shout about. Take your thoughts captive, the Bible tells us. Submit them to Christ. But so, someone says, well, I can't do that. I hear that a lot. I can't, I can't control my thoughts. My thoughts just spiral out of control. I, I can't control it, right? Say that? I can't do that. Well, you're right. As long as you think that way, you're right. But I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'll give you a totally new perspective. I want you to change that can't to the word won't. See, we prefer the word can't because it allows us to be a victim. It implies that forces outside of ourselves have overpowered us. And we're at their, at their mercy. Because we're victims, we take no responsibility in fixing it. And so I wrote down four statements that we need to change, okay? Remember, all things begin in your mind. These four statements, I've all made myself. Number one, I can't stop spending. How's that sound? I can't stop eating. I can't control my mouth. I can't let things go. Now, there are others, but I just wrote those four down. Okay, now, those are words of someone who isn't living out 2 Corinthians 10, 5. They haven't taken those thoughts captive and made them obedient to Christ. Okay, uh, the, the thoughts have taken them captive. See, the Holy Spirit of God calls something different, something far greater. And so I, I want to change, through the power of the Holy Spirit, those four statements into the truth. And that is this, I won't stop spending. I won't stop eating. I won't control my mouth. I won't let things go. You see guys how this is a completely different meaning? How this completely different, the Holy Spirit changes our entire thought process with one single word. Now let's do what Paul says and take these thoughts captive, okay? Let's take that thought that I can't stop spending and make that obedient to Christ, okay? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to control that thought. We need to start asking, do I need it? Do I need it? Uh, is it in the budget? Ask, can I wait for this? Is this something that I can save up for instead of spending? Uh, and, and, and ask, if I buy this, what am I sacrificing? See, these are the thoughts of a person whose thoughts are obedient to Christ. You use wisdom. Now let's take that second thought. Let's take that thought, second thought. I can't stop eating. Let's take that one and make it obedient to Christ. Ask, do I need it? Ask, am I using this as fuel or as food? See, most people don't use food as fuel. They use it as a drug. Yeah, 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 we use food as a drug. I'm sorry to be stepping on top, but we use food as a drug. Why do, you use people, why do people use drugs? So to feel better, to escape, to provide pleasure, to pull themselves out of stressful situations, right? Well, substitute the word candy bar or french fries for heroin, and you've got the same thing. We use, we use the word comfort food. We, we stress eat. We're using food as a drug, okay? Let's start making these thoughts obedient to Christ. Let's take the third thought. I can't control my mouth. Make that obedient to Christ. Ask, if I say this, will it bring about my desired results? Um, will it honor Christ? Will the words from my mouth honor Christ if I say this? Uh, let's take that fourth thought. I can't let things go. Make that obedient to Christ. Ask, do I want God to treat me in the same manner? 
Do I want God to treat me like I'm about to treat this person? Do I want God to have the same forgiveness towards me that I have for other people? Now, what does God's word say about this? See, guys, we take these can't statements and we turn them into won't and we make them obedient to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. And if you don't think it's life-changing, just try it. Let's apply that to the church as well. I wasn't planning on saying this this morning, but let's just play that to the church as well. Can I be real for a second, you guys? I'm so sick of Christian excuses. I'm so sick of people making excuses for things and, 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 and everything. I'm so sick of, of, of hearing, uh, you know, from all the research, well, people just aren't going to church like they used to. Why not? What, what, what did, did God become irrelevant in the last five years? Is Jesus less important? Is the saving grace, is, is our sin less, less, uh, uh, less killing? I, I mean, is it less lethal than it was five years ago? Why? You know, it's because we've allowed wrong thoughts to lead us. It's time someone said, if you're a follower of Jesus, the least thing you can do is be in church on Sunday morning. I'm calling it out. And if you can go Black Friday shopping, and you can go Saturday, small business Saturday uh, shopping, you can come to church on Sunday morning. Uh, if, you, if you would get out of bed for that deal on that 50-inch TV, then you can get out of bed and come to church. And if you don't, you're being led by wrong thoughts. You haven't taken your thoughts captive and made them obedient to Christ. Unless you're sick or out of town, you have no excuse for not being here. None. And if you are sick or out of town, we have online. There's no excuse whatsoever for missing worship. And but whatever you do, let's quit with the excuses, you all. I'm so tired of Christian wimpiness. I'm so sick of it, you all. I'm sick of excuses. Um, let's change that can't to won't. I can't make church a priority. Uh, I won't make church a priority. And let's make that obedient to Christ. Let's repent of our lukewarmness. Repent of our lack of commitment, our lack of a sense of urgency. And let's be who Christ wants us to be. Self-control, guys. Let's make sure that we understand everything starts up here. All right? Everything. Let's, make, let's take our thoughts about our faith, about life, and make them obedient to Christ. Self-control. That is what Christians do. All right? All right. Self-control is extremely important for another reason, though. And that's because, number one, number two, people cannot control themselves We'll try to control others, and this is something that is huge in our society right now. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this. This is a prophecy about the end times. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. Okay, so this will characterize society in the times right before Jesus returns. Okay, the great British philosopher John Cleese said this, people who cannot control their emotions have no choice but to control the actions of others. We live in an increasingly judgmental society, not from the church, from outside the church, because people are having less and less control over their emotions. They cannot, they cannot handle when they hear things they don't like, when they see things they don't like, less and less self-control. And because they cannot control their emotions, they try to control you. They try to stop you from saying what you want to say, try to stop you from doing what you want to do. They want to uh, basically police you. They want to be the moral police. They want to be the thought police. They want to be the speech police and make sure you don't do or say anything they don't approve of. 
That's not because, uh, because of some sacred uh, uh, thought or some sacred value. It's because they can't control their emotions. They cannot handle the emotional reaction they get when they hear something they don't like. And so therefore, they have to try to control you. News stories abound with people unable to control their emotions. And they try to control behavior of others. So let's bring this home, church. What do you do when you hear something you don't approve of? What do you do when you see something that offends you? What do you do? Do you try to stop the person or do you, what, what do you do? Uh, Jim Carrey just announced his exit from Twitter. Why? When Elon Musk took it over, he reinstated a lot of accounts that have been banned. Jim Carrey was not being uh, censored. He just didn't like hearing what everyone else was saying. He couldn't control it. And he made his grand exit from Twitter. He couldn't control his emotional reaction to things. And he wanted Twitter to control the, the tweets of everything. They wouldn't do it. He couldn't handle it. So what do you do when someone states an offensive opinion? People ask me that as a pastor. What do I do when I see things that are not of Christ or that, that are offensive to me, to, to my faith? Honestly, my first reaction is, yeah, whatever, dude, knock yourself out. That, that literally is my opinion. And you're like, well, Dave, how can you as a pastor allow this stuff going on? Well, because I have self-control. Because the same, that's the price of living in a free society, you all. See, the, the unwise person hands over the power to control people to others. You understand that anyone powerful enough to silence what you don't like is also powerful enough to silence you? If we go on, on the war path of censoring and telling people they can't say this or do this, that power will be used on us too. And don't think it won't happen to the church. We live in a free society. People should be able to say whatever they want to say without fear of, of, without fear of punishment or anything like that. Because the, the second that we start shutting people down, that will happen to us too. Okay? Just remember that. It's part of living in a free society. I was told when I was a kid, if I heard something, saw something on TV I didn't like, don't watch it. That was what was told to me. Don't watch it. You don't like it, don't watch it. I grew up listening to comedians like Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Andrew Dice Clay, Sam Kinison. Those guys were purposefully offensive. I don't know how anyone my age could get offended at anything, but what, we were, what was thrown at us when we were kids, Okay? and we survived. You will survive hearing things you don't like. You will survive hearing things that upset you. That is okay, we live in a free society. And we have to have enough maturity, have enough self-control to not allow our emotional reactions to make us wanna start controlling other people. Now, if I hear something that I don't like, if I can, I'll remove myself from a situation. I don't like listening to, uh, to, to profanity on, in, in music and profanity in, in movies. I don't like that stuff. I, but what am I gonna do? Am I gonna write, write the, the, the movie? Uh, am I gonna say, no, you can't show this? No, I'm just not gonna patronize it. I don't wanna hear it, but I respect the, the right of a person to say what they wanna say. And guys, self-control is the key to that. We cannot allow our emotions to, uh, to make us want to control other people. Okay, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, I, 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 I understand that what I'm saying may be upsetting to some people. I, I understand that. But understand this, that the power to censor your enemies will be used against you. If you don't think it, go over to India. Go over to Pakistan, go over to North Korea, 
Go over to Saudi Arabia, the places where it's illegal to preach the gospel. If you don't think that power will be used against the church, you have no idea what's going on around the world. Okay? All right? I wonder if one of the reasons why mental health is such an issue here in America, one of the causes of it is the anxiety caused by not being able to control what other people are doing and not being able to handle opinions different from yours. We've been told, our, our young people especially being told that you have the right to not hear anything that offends you. And if someone offends you, they need to stop and you need to shut them down. Well, that's a fool's errand. You can't shut people down. You can't control people. And I wonder if the stress and the anxiety our young people are feeling is because of that. We've not taught them to control their emotions. We've not taught them that one of the greatest parts of the Christian faith is self-control. We've not taught them that. And so they're flying off the handle trying to control people that can't be controlled. I wonder if that is one of the biggest causes of stress and anxiety among our young people today. See, guys, we have to understand that people who cannot control their emotions, will try to control the behavior of other people, okay? We must, we must learn to control our emotions and stop trying to control other people. We are not the Holy Spirit. That is God's job. We, we propose, we teach, we show a better vision. We don't control other people. Number three is this, secret self-control. Be fully satisfied in God. Be fully satisfied in God. Philippians 4, 12 through 13 says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, the person who is fully satisfied in God doesn't really need self-control. You don't really need to exercise self-control. Think about it. If you already have a full stomach, if you are so full, like after Thanksgiving, we just got through Thanksgiving, and you are so full, can you be tempted with food? You're like, no, oh, can't eat another bite. That's not a temptation for you, is it? Because you're fully satisfied. If you have everything you want, you can't be tempted for more. Having to exercise self-control means there's some unfulfilled appetite, unfulfilled desire within you. That's why uh, we have to exercise self-control. That's the problem. Your cravings, your desires aren't the problem. They're the symptom, a symptom of a dissatisfaction within you. And all the self-help books try to help you manage problems. That, that That doesn't work. The problem is we're not satisfied in God. Only God can provide the ultimate satisfaction for our souls. St. Augustine said it best. Our, you have made us for yourself, O oh God, and our hearts are restless until we find ourselves in you. One of my all-time favorite worship songs is a song, Enough. I know I'm showing my age, but that was really cool when I was in youth ministry back in the year 2002, 2003. And it was Chris Tomlin's song. It's a huge song. It says this. The chorus goes, all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. I would love for Christians to be able to look at God and say, you know what, God, because I have you, I need nothing else. I've got you. You're all I need. If I don't get another raise, if I get another friend, if that person never, that, that God never brings me that spouse that I'm desiring, uh, if, if, if I, I'm not able to have kids, if I'm not able to uh, get, get promoted, if I have to stay, Lord, I am completely content because you 
satisfy me and I need nothing. See guys, when you're fully satisfied in God, you're content with what he has and you're in need of nothing else, will be able to exercise self-control, feel no need for drugs and alcohol because you are so filled. You'll feel no need to buy things you don't need because we're fully satisfied already. No need to indulge in pornography because you're fully satisfied already. You'll feel no need to react in anger or take revenge because you're at peace with the world and everyone. Okay? When we're fully satisfied in God, then and only then we'll be able to truly have self-control. Okay? So the goal is find your satisfaction in God, not in things not around you. Okay? Number four is this. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Okay, in the old times, cities had walls around them because there were all types of invading armies and robbers and, and marauders and pillagers that were looking for, an easy, uh, looking for an easy target. And so they had walls around them. And so the Bible compares you, a person without self-control, to a city whose walls have been broken down. In other words, everything and anything has access to you and to your heart. Everything. Anything. The world has total access to you. Every situation you face will rattle you because you have no self-control. Uh, you'll feel the need to yell at every dog that barks at you. You'll feel the need to show up to every fight that someone invites you to, in person and online. Uh, you'll, everything has access to your heart without self-control. Everything just falls apart, the Bible says. Uh, I've, 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 uh, I've realized this, guys, that it doesn't matter how smart you are, how talented you are, how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter if you don't have self-control. Because without self-control, health, without self-control, is destroyed. As your lack of self-control leads you to eat too much and neglect the things that, that we need to do. Uh, money, without self-control, sprouts wings and flies off to the horizon. Uh, marriage, friendship, relationship, all gone without self-control. Um, uh, even people who are intelligent, capable, and talented will be destroyed by lack of self-control. I don't particularly care how smart a person is if they can't control themselves. Because it's all for naught. Uh, Solomon, like I said, was the wisest person who ever lived. His lack of self-control of the ladies led to his downfall, just like his father David. We looked at that earlier. So here's, a, here's a, a, something I want you guys to remember when, as, as Christians and as a church. This is a, a saying we live, through, live by at my house. Okay? We try to apply it, try to live by it. We're successful some of the time. <clears throat> this is it. Take no offense when none is intended. And 99% of the time, none was intended. Think about the silly things that you got upset about this week. Do you really think the people in your life are trying to offend you? Do you really think that there was some well-devised uh, well plan to undermine you or to, to use that tone of voice with you? Or to do, do you really think that they sat and plotted against you and executed it perfectly? Or was there really no offense intended? You were tired, you were upset, you were angry, you were irritable, and, and you took it as, as offensive when it really there was none intended. Think about it. Take no offense when none is intended, and 99% of the time, none was intended. This is what I found, guys. In my life, I've got so, I, I can barely manage my own life. I don't have time to interfere with everybody else. And most people, that's exactly the way it is. There was no offense intended. And so self-control says, okay, well, there's none intended. Why am I taking offense? Take no offense when none was intended. 
Um, I read a really cool article the other day that I thought had really significance for us. It was called Stop Complaining. It's literally rewiring your brain. Check this out. Research from Stanford University shows that repeated complaining makes you see the negative in everything. Um, see, uh, uh, coaches have always told me practice makes perfect. It doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. So whatever you repeatedly do is what you permanently do. Okay? That, that, that's, not, that's not rocket science. Everybody knows that. Okay? Um, but uh, every time you complain, you become more likely to complain again. You know, anyone know how many times the average person complains during a day? Anyone know? 22 times. 22 times a day. The average person complains 22 times per day, okay? And you are literally rewiring your brain to be a complainer. You're rewiring your brain to see the negative in everything. That is what complaining does. It is not benign. It is not venting. You are rewiring your brain. You're doing brain damage. Can I say that strongly enough? When you complain, you're damaging your brain. And a lot of us can't, can't don't have a lot, uh, you know, that, that, that's, 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 that's bad, okay? We don't have a lot of brain to damage, okay? So guys, it is not venting or telling like it is. You're rewiring your brain to see the negative in everything. So when you complain, I want you to take that thought, that complaint. I want you to make it obedient to Christ. And I want you to stop. The Bible tells us to do everything without grumbling and complaining. How many people like being around constant complainers? Anybody really enjoy those people? Like, oh man, that person's the best complainer I've ever been around. I can't wait to invite them over and spend three hours with them, listening to them complain about everything. Hallelujah, sign me up. Anybody like being around those people? Well, if you see a constant complainer, you're looking at someone who has damaged their brain through constant complaining. Had they had self-control, they would actually be much happier. Remember, guys, you are what you repeatedly do. Be fully satisfied in God. Let the complaining go by the wayside, okay, because you're damaging your brain. Um, this is the big thing. The, the, the last point here is this, is that understand your passions are trying to ruin you. You have to understand that. Um, how many of you all know that your biggest enemy is not the person you see, but the person looking at you in the mirror every morning? You understand that that person's your biggest enemy. And the passions you have within you are trying to ruin you. Romans 8, 5 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. St. Francis of Assisi, Referred to his body, his flesh, as brother donkey, but he used the King James for, word for donkey, okay? But he, uh, because he said, it will not do what you want it to do. He said, I've got this demon within me that I have to throttle back that wants to destroy itself and wants to destroy me. He, he, uh, he's, your passions are trying to ruin you. You have an entire side of you, so do I, that wants what's opposite to God that wanted to sleep in this morning, and a lot of people fell for it, that, that, want, that wants to commit adultery, that wants to lie, that wants to complain, that wants to indulge in everything positive. There, there's a part of you that wants that. You have to understand that. It wants what it wants, and it wants it now. And you won't understand the power of the flesh until you start asking questions like this. Why do you buy the things you don't need? Why do you eat so much when you aren't starving? Why do you say things when you know they're not true simply because you're mad? Why do you blame inanimate objects for existing? 
Walking around the dark, you hit your shin on the corner of the dresser. Stupid dresser. Oh, it's the dresser that's stupid, right? Not you. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really understand this until six years ago. I started hunting deer, and I see the eyes rolling. I know I talk about it all the time, okay? But this has tremendous significance for us right now. See, normally deer are far back in the woods away from people. They don't like people. They don't like people that like, they don't like, I guess they're scared of us. They don't like th things that look like you and me. They stay away from us. They avoid people like the plague. They have eyes and ears and a nose a hundred times more sensitive than a bloodhound's. They can hear anything and everything. They're smart and incredibly elusive except for one time of the year. And that's mating season. If deer had self-control, there would be no hunting season. If you go in the hunting section of any sporting goods store, you'll see deer attractants. You know what you attract a deer with? Two things, food and sex. Isn't it amazing? Same things that I use as a hunter to get deer to drop all common sense, all sense of right and wrong, to ignore what their senses are telling them, screaming at them, are the same things that Satan uses to hunt us. In my community group, the statement was made, if you look back over your life, probably the stupidest things any guy has done is because of girls. And no one argued. <laughs> okay? See, guys, the deer don't understand why that corn pile is free. All they see is that it's right out in front of them, in the open. It's free. It's quick. It's easy. It takes an entire day for them to graze in a pasture to get that much corn. And there it is, right there, piled up in a clearing. Hallelujah. They don't understand when something is free and easy and quick is that it's by design. I hunt the same way Satan hunts, you all. I throw out whatever the deer wants. I make it quick, make it easy, make it free, make it accessible. And whatever it takes the deer to get, get the deer to abandon their senses, to abandon their sense of caution, to abandon all their common sense, to abandon the very nature that's screaming, don't do that, whatever I can do, that's what I do, because I'm a hunter. I don't want the deer to ask, I don't want the deer to exercise self-control. I don't want it, I want him to go with whatever his stomach is telling him right then. That's what I want. That's what hunters want, you all. They don't want the prey to start asking questions like, who put this corn pile here? Questions like, why did he put it here? I wonder why it's free. See, I don't want them to ask those questions. I want the deer to go with the quick and easy. I want the deer to do what feels good. I want him to go with his gut because he's easy prey when he does. It's such a relief that we humans are so much smarter than deer. It's a good thing that we don't fall for the quick and the easy. It's a good thing that, that Satan can't get us to abandon all rational thought by throwing out food and sex, whatever will, will, will uh, satisfy an appetite. You understand this when you start hunting how many parallels there are spiritually. There's never been anyone in the history of humanity be lured in by the promise of the quick and the easy solution to all your problems, is there? 
There's never been anyone in history of humanity to destroy their health by giving in to cravings, that immediate gratification of fast, cheap food, is there? No man in history or woman in history has ever been led astray by dating the wrong person, the quick and the easy. We're so much smarter and so much more refined than deer are, aren't we? Just understand, you all, your passions are trying to ruin you, and you have an enemy that understands your passions maybe better than you do. I understand deer's passions as a hunter. That's why my freezer is full of meat right now, y'all. And you're in a battle with your passions. They're trying to ruin your family. They're trying to ruin your name. They're trying to ruin your character, your health, your marriage, your livelihood. Understand that, you all. And exercise self-control. And don't let them. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit of God to grow self-control in you. Be fully satisfied in God. When we're fully satisfied in God, and we're fully at peace with yourself, with God, and with other people. Needing nothing, wanting nothing, fully satisfied. You know how? I I would not be able to hunt a deer if he was fully satisfied. Nothing that I would offer would bring him in. Nothing. Right? Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, self-control isn't pleasant at the time. It is tough not to give in. Man, that white chocolate mocha with thousand calories. Man, that sounds amazing. It's, it's, but self-control is tough. But what does the Bible say? It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace when we don't give in to it. Think about the righteousness and peace. I want you guys to dream with me. Think about the righteousness and peace of a family whose mother and father, who through self-control, never committed adultery and never tore the family apart. Think about the righteousness and peace that follows a person who through self-control lived below his or her means and has no debt, no debt collector's calling, able to pay everything cash, no arguments over money in the home ever. Imagine that. Imagine, think of the righteousness and peace that follows a person who never says things in the heat of the moment and has to apologize and never destroys the relationships and destroys the people that they love the most. Imagine the righteousness and peace that follows that person. Think of the joy and peace of a person who has self-control. Oh, the joy of a person who doesn't destroy his or her own life. Wow. Oh, it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. It looks like foolish at the time. Think about it. To a world running to the uh, running to the corn pile, you look like an idiot when you don't go to it. Think about that. To a world that's running to the corn pile, you look like an idiot when you don't go. It doesn't seem pleasant at the time, but it brings a life of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Scripture says, "You want God's blessing in your life? Allow the Holy Spirit to develop self-control within you. Be fully satisfied in God. Allow Him to fulfill you." Fully at peace with God, with others, and with yourself. That's the goal. Add to our faith, goodness, then knowledge, and then govern it by self-control. And watch the blessing of God overflow in your life. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the things that we always do, because we're huge missions in this church, is when we're about to send a mission team somewhere, we always gather in the middle there and we lay hands on them, pray them out, just, just like Acts 13.1. 
Okay, I want to invite Zach and, and Kevin, who are about to go to Honduras to serve. Uh, is, is it the cancer camp again that you guys are going to? Yes, they, we send a team down there every year to serve uh, kids with cancer and to put on a camp. And this time, Kevin and Zach. So if you guys, as church family, will gather around them and we'll lay hands on them. And then, uh, John, you're going to pray them out. You're going to lead us in prayer right there. Uh, As always, we like to, to pray for folks in our church as they're getting ready to go out on the mission field. And uh, Kevin, you've only been to Honduras a dozen times, I think, at this point. So, uh, But this is Zach's first mission trip, I believe. So he's going out of the country, and we're excited for these two guys and what they're going to be doing. So let's, let's take a moment and let's just pray for these guys as they get ready to leave. God, we thank you so much for Kevin. We thank you for Zach. God, we thank you for the work they're about to do, uh, working with kids in Honduras. God, it's such a huge need. And uh, it's exciting to see these guys go out and feel your call to do ministry for, for you. And so, God, right now we pray safety over their travels. We pray for airlines to not cancel tickets. And we pray for uh, just an amazing week down there in Honduras. God, we love you. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.